Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real-life experiences, near misses, and big little wins. And my name is Michael. Today we are going to be talking about feminisms, authored by Julia Dads in Chapter 6 of Bradley Levinson's book titled Beyond Critique. Here we're going to attempt to relate some of our own personal life stories to Dads' narrative as relating to our concepts on the family dynamic, socioeconomic, and personal identity waves existing within feminist theory and issues. Particularly, we're attempting to present an intersectional perspective on some of our own relating experiences on feminisms we've each potentially encountered at various time periods or settings. From a boys will be boys and women should know their place outlook to a that's someone ladylike and men are all dogs point of view on gender and feminism. We're hoping to bring about a relevant discussion on these social topics. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back. I find it interesting how feminism is such a controversial topic. The Levinson reading mentions how there is a lot of debate around the topics of gender, feminism, and women. A powerful quote from the reading is, Feminism is the radical notion that women are people. A little bit about my own personal background is that I am South Asian. I am Indian and was born in the United States. I am a minority and a woman. I have had to learn to navigate between two different worlds and sometimes feel like I don't don't fully fit into one. I don't fully fit in with my Indian friends who were born in India and speak Hindi and watch Bollywood movies regularly. At the same time, I feel too Indian at times for my American friends. Certain customs I find, such as taking shoes off in the house, are not followed by my American friends. In terms of feminism, I believe women are capable of achieving just as much as men. Women can be strong and independent. I look up to my mom as a perfect example of what a strong woman looks like. She is a single parent and raised me all by herself. I grew up watching her handle all the responsibilities from driving me to school, paying bills, taking care of the dogs, house repairs, and so much more. She also took on the quote-unquote male role of teaching me to drive and ride a bike. At the same time, she is also well-educated, being a nurse and holding two bachelor's and two master's degrees. Wow, Samira, I have a similar background. As a black male, I can empathize with dad's notion on the collective on the collectively and individually lived experiences here on feminisms through how I view the life of my mother and that I grew up in a single parent household too and watched how my mother struggled with the responsibility of raising two boys while trying to maintain her sense and expression of self, beauty, love, and courage all while dealing with restrictive social and economic constraints that would seem to dictate the overall quality of life she or we lived. It's interesting 
Also how the media helps to perpetuate gender stereotypes and roles from a skewed, purposefully discriminating perspective that seems to fan the flames of recognizing differences in looks and mannerisms instead of highlighting and illustrating the obvious and natural commonalities we all share as both woman and man. Then feminism seems to relate to, but of course being so much more, the natural-born human right of women to experience an equitable and just life's experience through common acknowledgement of possessing a unique voice, individual value, and social independence. For instance, Dad mentions how we should always be mindful of feminisms being vital to making up the quote-unquote systems of knowledge. An individual or woman or women will come to possess or not, which can have impact on the quote-unquote systems of power they may hold in pursuing full happiness, liberty, and high quality of life. But going back to my, my growing up um, with my mother, since my mother has already passed away, she passed away back in 1999, I remember her being both the disciplinarian and ultimate mentor in my school age life while growing up in North Texas. My grandmother also lived with us for most of, my, most of the younger part of my youth, where even for a portion of my childhood, I lived with her and assisted my grandmother with daily tasks as she was wheelchair-bound and elderly. I think I felt more closeness with my grandmother, who passed away in 1989, as a child just because I lived with her early on in my life, where she taught me, I'm guessing because of her wise older age, a more patient and passive demeanor that I feel I still carry around to this day with me because of her natural calm, her soft-spoken demeanor, and interaction with me um, and with everyone I ever saw her talking with. So, in trying to understand the lives my grandmother and my mother both lived as black women, born and living in a very racially conscious and segregated American society that was purposefully and racially oppressive, mandated and castigating by design through the constitutional and social laws and directives that existed or didn't exist during their younger lives in the early middle part of the 1900s here in the U.S., I have even more deeper recognition and respect for who they were as people of color but moreover, as women of color. Michael, I liked hearing some about your own personal life growing up. I agree with you about the systems of knowledge and systems of power. I also think about how gender stereotypes are portrayed in movies and TV shows. This is also linked to how minorities and various cultures are portrayed. For example, kids grow up watching Disney movies. What all of the Disney movies have in common is love, adventure, and gender stereotypes. There is always the handsome man and beautiful woman. For example, Cinderella. Cinderella is a slave, always cleaning. At the end, her quote-unquote knight in shining armor swoops in and saves her. This is also seen in Sleeping Beauty, Aladdin, and The Little Mermaid, because the women, though independent at times, seem to need their male partner. 
Man, that seems so true, Samir. <laughs> it does seem like we're always bombarded with the images of the strong male character who swoops in and quote-unquote saves the day with regards to the helpless quote-unquote damsel in distress types of portrayal that we see in, in uh, some of the older Disney movies especially. But you hardly ever seem to have a portrayal of a strong heroine throughout the majority of these movies. Only when the Disney movie, for example, I'm thinking of Pocahontas right now, is specifically catered to the strong woman protagonist or antagonist in some other movies, where still a male figure appears to possess some type of dominating stronghold over the main actions and decision-making of the female figure uh, portrayal or commands I'm sorry, the female figure portrays or commands in the main theme or storyline. But recently I've noticed there are a couple of Disney movies that have female leads who maintain ownership of their voice and in, in individuality. As a couple of examples I've noticed um, is, Di is Disney's Moana and Incredibles 2 for having strong female roles. Additionally, what made Moana unique and refreshing is it showed a different culture, Polynesian, which is a minority group, and there was no Prince Charming. Wow, Samir. I totally missed those examples. You know, I'm used to watching the older Disney movies. I'm kind of stuck back in the past, but yes, some of the more recent movies have kind of um, uh, given more of a strong dominating character um, in the Disney movies and the female leads do maintain that strength and voice throughout kind of negating whatever male presence that may be around and I think dad makes this point clear in describing the gender bias displayed in skewed media representations overall where male female roles seem to always be paced by the hegemonic domineer domineering presence of a male's overarching wherewithal and controlling hand. I was going to say, I can't recall a Disney movie where a true strong female lead truly comes to the definitive voice and controlling hand in the major decision-making centered around the movie until you just mentioned to me, <laughs> Samira, about Moana and then also the mother and wife in the movie Incredibles 2. Um, they definitely... Um, have that strong presence and uh, upper hand as they maintain throughout the movie. But I'm totally aware of the influence of media in Hollywood and how, how it kind of portrays, or how it kind of portrays, I'm sorry, uh, gender stereotyping and how it kind of, how it kind of dictates the roles between men and women um, in the fantasy-like world of television and the quote-unquote big screen. For instance, I grew up in a single-parent household and religiously watched the popular 80s TV show, The Cosby Show. I love this show because it gave me the ideal vision of what a mother and father dynamic could be. I dreamed of having a dad who'd be able to teach me how to ride a bike or do the complicated homework assignments or just how to maneuver through life in general as a young boy trying to figure out his path and purpose in life. So this TV show pretty much filled this longing and void of not having a true father figure in my life. Although my mother did an outstanding job, or at least the best 
way that she knew how, raising me to understand basically who I am and to try to live by the standard quote-unquote golden rule of life. I always felt, though, I needed a real dad type to teach me how to deal with personal guy issues uh, growing up, which related to the, the birds and the bees, learning how to study more efficiently for better success with school, uh, financial planning, uh, answering questions on gender and race relations, and so on. But this is where Bill Cosby comes in and becomes a source of hope and optimism, at least through his show, um, in, in displaying what fatherhood is in my life through his portrayal of a smart, educated, family-oriented black man being the career professional who has success in pretty much all facets of his life. Uh, Cosby's TV character, quote-unquote Dr. Huxtable, is a highly successful black doctor married to a wife who's a highly successful black lawyer who both are raising socially, education, socially and educationally relevant kids who have the prototypical role models and the supremely educated, well-to-do, forever guiding and mentoring parents who have the right answer to every personal, social, financial, and educational and family matter imaginable. I remember wondering as a kid, why couldn't I have that kind of life? Um, thanks for sharing this, Michael. Um, growing up, this makes me think of a TV show that I used to watch and could relate to in some ways. I watched Gilmore Girls with my mom. It's about a single mom who ha has her daughter at 16 and has been raising her on her own. The mother never went to college, but works extremely hard and is working towards her goal of owning her own it. Although my mom did not have me young and my mom is well educated, we had fun watching the TV show because we could relate so much to the closeness of the mother-daughter duo on TV. The TV show also portrays a strong work ethic of the daughter. The daughter who is 16 when she starts in high school is working her hardest to get into her dream college, Harvard. Wow, Samira, that's, that's kind of how I was feeling about the Cosby show. And then it definitely inspired me to want to know more about what college is and you know how fun it could be and just what a great experience it could be overall. But I never believed I had the opportunity to attend college until my senior year in high school. It was when I had a couple of teachers that um, took an interest in me. Um, I think they were both, if I remember right, because I was back in high school a long time ago, um, This, they were both my English teachers. And even though I'm a black kid who grew up in the inner city, I did fairly well with English in high school and in college. And so anyways, they told me that because of the potential they saw in me, they actually wanted to help me go off to college, and they did. So they helped me find the financial aid, uh, the assistance, and whatever else that I needed to uh, actually go off to college, and I actually did. So um, I tell, I, as I've told you before, Samira, I could have easily have been a statistic. You know, I could have fallen to the wayside. You know, there were so many opportunities with the peer influences around me that could have pulled me down. But somehow, I was able to avoid it, and I know my life is so much better today than it would have been if I had actually allowed myself 
to be pulled into those wrong directions by peers who unfortunately maybe didn't have the, the same opportunities that I had educational wise. But hey, going back and talking about um, the Bill Cosby show, oh my gosh, it was so heartbreaking and disappointing um, when the news recently over the last couple of years uh, came out how Bill Cosby is basically a monster who violated and abused women for decades, got away with quote unquote murder almost and the crimes that he committed against these women. When I found this out, Samira, it was like, I couldn't believe it because for me, he was that father figure for me. So it was almost like it was my dad, you know, who was, who was um, going through this. It was like, I, le I was left with my mouth open when I heard the news reports and they kept giving details from the survivors of his attacks and his assaults. And I was like, this can't be true. But then I heard on one end, some people who loved him saying, ah, it's just a conspiracy to tear him down because there's no way America's quote unquote father uh, could, could do anything like that. But then when you hear so many survivors saying the same thing and giving the same account as to what happened to them from his, his assaults and his abuse and his attacks, there's gotta be some truth and some validity there. So I'm totally siding with the survivors. In my mind, as, as hard as it was for me to say when it first came out, I totally see him as not existing in my life anymore. Yeah. Um, just one, one more note to add. I'm sorry, Samira, to cut you off. He was such an important part of my life early on, well before the scandal broke out about what a true criminal he is. Um, I heard him one time back in the 90s in an interview describing how he had named all of his children after the letter E. The letter E representing uh, or standing for education and excellence. And when I heard that, it put into my mind, if and whenever I got married and I had kids or, or any, any boy or girl uh, as a child, that I would name them after the letter E. So to make a long story short, I eventually got married, I had a son, and I wanted to name my son Aaron, but I wanted to spell it E-R-I-N. And so when I told his mother this, she looked at me, first of all, like I was, you know, nuts. And then second, she was like, uh-uh, there's no way we're going to name our son um, after a girl's name. But even still, and, and this kind of relates to our, our topic here on feminisms, I didn't see the name Aaron spelled E-R-I-N uh, for a boy or for a girl. To me, it was gender neutral. To me, it was a beautiful name, and I love the spelling of E-R-I-N. But we eventually settled on because my wife, my, my uh, son's mother, eventually said, hey, if you want Aaron, we can spell it A-A-R-I-N. So I settled for that. So I did get the name. I just didn't get the spelling. So I'm happy. But... Um, but again, also, Samira, um, I was able to also pull an article uh, on, from USA Today. But were you going to mention something? Oh, I just wanted to quickly jump back to the Bill Cosby thing and your, how you felt your disappointment. Because um, I remember I grew up watching Seventh Heaven, and that's like the ideal family with the children and the 
the dad who works at the church, he's the pastor at the church, and then I found out the news about what he did to all those little girls, and then yeah. how can you respect that, and then watch that TV show, and it completely changes your mindset of what the perfect family is, and that, that also goes back to the whole um, racial boundaries thing, where it doesn't matter the race of the person, it's just a crime is a crime kind of thing, and it crosses many different boundaries. Totally agree with you on that, Samir. I mean, I think I totally know who you're talking about too. The actor in that in that TV show, Seven Heaven. I think his name was Stephen Collins. Um, you know, he came off too as that all American dad, quote unquote, persona, where you know he did no wrong. He always had the right answers for every situation, and you know he was that stoic. You know, always, you know, good and even and balanced in his life. But I don't know. It, 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 it like you said, it, it was just so disappointing to uh, find that out. And I do think that that's the perfect example, too, of how um, criminality and, and whatever, whatever uh, uh, potential that 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 the media puts out as the ideal type of of father figure or male role model or um, uh, mother figure or female role model. That's media. That's Hollywood. That's hype. I, I think a lot of us tend to get pulled into that and we want to come to believe that it is truth. It is reality. But just as we both experienced in a couple of our TV character role models growing up, there can be a very big disappointment there. And um, again, this takes me back to the Levinson chapter authored by dads who speaks of how the media can totally skew our views and perceptions of people. Hey, also, Samir, I was able to pull up an article I found in USA Today making reference to the Women's March on Washington in January of 2017. And various speech and commentary came out on feminism and how it can intersect or how it has intersectionality throughout our personal and social lives. In the article, in the USA Today article, which is titled, What is Intersectional Feminism? A look at the term you may be hearing a lot. It was authored by Aliyah Dastagir. I believe that's how you pronounce the author's name. <laughs> it was uh, published on January 19, 2017. And it basically describes or it leads into how hundreds of thousands of people from around the United States uh, flooded Washington, D.C. on that on that um, uh, previous Saturday for a massive rights march to kind of oppose and go against uh, the new president, uh, Donald Trump's um, pretty much uh, uh, very uh, uh, offensive, degrading uh, womanist uh, um, um, views. So I thought it was really relevant, this article, because um, Dastagir, the author of this USA Today article, kind of states that the concept of intersectionality uh, was, was pretty much brought about in 1989 when a law professor named Kimberly Crenshaw at UCLA and Columbia, um, who was also a leading thinker on uh, race theory, 
wrote a seminal paper on this issue. Also, Dastagir states how feminist scholars explain the meaning of intersectionality in their own words. For example, I thought this was a very telling definition of what uh, intersectional feminism is by Juliet Williams, a professor of gender studies at UCLA. Dr. Williams describes intersectional feminism as a form of feminism that stands for the rights and empowerment of all women. Taken seriously, the fact of differences among women, including different identities based on radicalization, sexuality, economic status, nationality, religion, and language. Intersectional feminism then attends to the ways in which uh, we claim or women can claim um, um, as a class um, can function within their class or just throughout the, the structures of society and and how it can also help to to silence or give them voice or it can marginalize or make them a part of the mainstream by universalizing the claims of 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 of, of privilege or not having privilege that's pretty much how dr williams explains intersectionality um, i feel ultimately to kind of sum it up, that Dad's article or Dad's um, um, narrative in the book pretty much explains feminisms as a series of waves, as we mentioned earlier. The first wave kind of re relating to the historical component to feminism. And then the second wave relating to us or women, I'm sorry, um, but I, I, I include men too because I believe we also need to be feminists uh, for overall women's rights and civil rights. I say us in that sense, uh, where the second wave again kind of describes having voice for feminist rights and feminist causes. And then the third wave relating to just more research and examination of feminist theory, feminist causes, and just how it's just plain good to, 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 it's, 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 it's what should be expected in society to have that equal balance, that equality between men and women. And, um, just to reach a conclusion based on, um, what you just talked about, Michael, um, I think based on the Levinson book and the different waves, um, more work needs to be done on feminism and also to reach that third wave, perhaps a basic college course should be required. And this could be a feminist course or a critical race theory course that um, all the freshmen are required to take as a intro class. Um, this could be like with all majors, engineering, liberal arts, mathematics, all of them. For sure, for sure. And I kind of mentioned here at the end of our uh, dialogue, Samir, that in relation to the third wave, you know, just kind of back up what you just mentioned right now. Um, more examination and research does need to go into feminist, racial, and cultural studies. It does seem that these studies should become a direct staple within higher learning, meaning educational institutions and their governing bodies 
should insist that these social studies topics not just exist as tacit references and social issues or discussions in a paragraph in a textbook uh, that also ends with just only more research is needed, quote unquote. But get out of the game of making up excuses and dismissing the sense of urgency here with both men and women's lives having the realistic potential to truly come together and merge on a more gender equitable playing field. Well, thanks, Michael, for your final comments. It looks like we're running out of time. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Thank you. See you next time.